0: This is Family Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Mike Omer for the first time, and you are a writer, and uh, yeah. you've been into business books. And we're going to talk about that before, Yeah. but um, we want to welcome you to the Family Electric Ghost podcast and let Thank everybody you. know that also let our folks know that you can see the icon up there that says, listen on Newsly. Now, we are a podcast on that on that platform, and for our our people who are watching or listening tonight, they can check that out. With a coupon code a ghost uh later tonight we'll be on newsly and we are a featured podcast there so you can check out this an audio version of this interview there and also to let people know we're actually at episode 1037 tracking on our apple podcast since 2016 okay. and That's then we've got your website, <laughs> your website your website mikeolmer.com that'll be fully clickable when we're published so oh, people fantastic. can click thank through you. and go right go right to that and then the other thing we're going to talk about today the topic that we've got on deck is the three pillars of every great business book so before we get to that maybe you want to introduce yourself to the audience and give it like a brief like elevator pitch of your background your story
1: oh thank you thank you um, so Um, My background is journalism. I did about 30 years of journalism, traveled the world, met all sorts of great athletes, loved it, loved it, loved it, um, got involved in the business world, and then realized that the people in the business world did not have any idea of their stories. I didn't know anything about business. It was like there was this kind of like there's this mall down below my feet that I didn't even know existed. And so I went to uh, some networking meetings called BNI Networking Meetings. And... I just found them to be great people, and I learned that there's this subset of people that are just living on their wits, right? They don't have the guarantees of a weekly paycheck. They don't have a building to walk into. They're just figuring it out on their own, and I think that's fantastic. So I started talking to all these business people, and again, I realized that they just have no grasp on their stories because the, I have a saying, the book you think you're going to write, if you write the book you thought you were going to write, you wrote, the, you wrote the wrong book. Because it's just not the story it's singing, it is. And so, yeah, it's fine. It's true. And so uh, my specialty is helping people figure that one signature story. And then we can either blow it out into a book or just send them away for the rest of their days. Telling the one story, as I like to say, they should tell every day for the rest of their life.
0: That's interesting because being a, I'm a producer and songwriter as a yeah. serious like a, a side gig. And the one yeah. thing we do as songwriters is we tell stories. You the know, The songs that are successful are our stories. Absolutely. That, that basically, you know, and people own those stories once they hear them.
1: Yeah. But, oh, that's but, and,
0: and a lot of times when we write those, we could say we had a big plan. But if you interview a lot of the great artists, they'll say that they kind of came from like a flow state, student consciousness, that they trusted themselves. They kind of believe in the muse. And a lot of times that's where the great work comes from. It's like like you you could start to plan and I've planned tons of songs but the unplanned like moments that I capture on my multi-tracks end up being better than anything I usually planned. Um so that's just my kind of background but I'm wondering No, you, no you know out.
1: what you're right Paul McCartney woke up and he had the tune of yesterday and he was sure he nicked it from somebody because it was so clear in his mind you know, that he just, so he asked John, he asked George, you know, he asked Ringo. Yeah, they and
0: heard. they said, no,
1: man, he spent two days <laughs> asking people. If you ask Bob Dylan, he had this great quote saying that he just doesn't know where those early songs came from. He says they're a, they're a place away from where he is in, in terms of where his headspace was. He just, he looks at me and looks he looks at it like somebody else had written them and somebody else has. Yeah. There's there's something <laughs> out there. I, I tell people their stories already ready.
0: Yeah, I love the basement tapes. I was listening to like the ten-hour version. Wow, and, you're uh, a fan
1: you're with a fan. the band.
0: Well, I just like the, the stream of consciousness nature of those songs. <clears throat> yeah, and it really talks about creativity. And people try to put a lot, of, <clears throat> a lot of stuff on it, like masks and layers, and try to you know be a little pompous about it. But that's like that's the heart of song creation. Like listening to that with Robbie Robinson and the band and and Dylan. Big Pink in the basement doing that stuff. I'm like, that's like how you do it. Like, every time I've been with people, you know, from a jazz fusion band to a punk rock band to an electronic yeah. band, like when you sit there and you just like the band just comes up with it, yeah, that that usually is what jives the band together. That's what makes the song, what makes the experience of why you want to do it in the first place. It's
1: so interesting to protest because you mentioned Dylan here in Canada. We revere Leonard Cohen as one of the great oh, right, songwriters. Oh, yeah oh he's, he's awesome so too, good. Yeah. he's yeah, so yeah. good he and dylan were talking one day i don't know where they were they were in a coffee shop somewhere maybe in greenwich village and then they were talking about the art of writing and leonard cohen said that bob dylan said to leonard cohen how long did it take you to write hallelujah i should do this backwards but leonard cohen asked bob dylan how long it took him to write uh, blowing in the wind or some classic and bob dylan said 15 minutes <laughs> <laughs> And it took Leonard Cohen seven years to write "Hallelujah,"
0: and he was lying. It actually took him so Nine. You well, know, sometimes it takes. Like, if we you know if you had a progressive rocker, a band like yes, they're layer and layer and layer and layer. Yeah, thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I like and I like that. And uh, but but it's like like a blues guy or like you know, jazz fusion. You know, listening to like you know anything that Coltrane was doing or Davis or Sun Ra. There's something about that in the moment you know, saying, oh, there's no bad notes and letting it be, you know, and, 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 and I've I've talked to a lot of writers that kind of go through this thing. Well, you know, I can, I can storyboard something out and I can outline it out, but it's sometimes it's, it's an interview. If you're talking to people for like nonfiction books or, you know, that, that real life experience that is beyond anything you could like try to, try to sketch out or script out.
1: Well, there's sort of two ways of looking at it. and From what I understand, there's sort of the European and the North American way. And the North American way, and you you nailed it, we said storyboard, build up. And the European way is that the sculpture is already in the stone, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a matter of of getting the stuff, the superfluous stuff out of there. And that's my view. It's not, and I try to tell people, it's already there. Don't be afraid. (laughs) You have to create it. It's already there. You're just unearthing it. And that's yeah. A different,
0: it's... Yeah, it's totally different because I lived in Japan for two years. Wow. And what I loved about you know Japanese is like you know when I was living in Tokyo downtown near yeah. Roppongi, and um, and I just was just amazed by the you know the ancient nature of Japan. There's like you know these like gardens and stuff where there's like these temples, and you could go and just do Tai Chi, and then you have all wow. this modern stuff, and it yeah. was this dichotomy of like the old Shinto temple and then the modern skyscrapers and all the modern stuff that's all there at the same time yeah. and then you know being on the train watching salarymen reading manga manga you know we're like wow they're like they don't think that's a that's like a kid thing they they, they they're into that art they they they're into this graphic art as like a commercial thing that's not just for kids and i was like wow that's a different mindset it's a different way yeah. of experiencing things yeah i agree but um, in terms of writing a business book, because mm-hmm. uh, that's like the topic. Like, there's three pillars, and maybe you could talk about because a lot of times people are like, well, business is like, you know, there's there's a music business, there's an art business. Either businesses for you know people or creative people, they're in business. But then um, you're probably talking about traditional business or maybe not. So maybe you can talk about like the three pillars of business and what type of business those uh, the pillars are geared toward sure so
1: i think every book is a business book (laughs) that's a little contentious people tell me that i'm wrong but i think there's just two types of people those who want to write a book to help their business and those that want to make writing books their business Mm -hmm. right and so that's that's the gig so every book no matter how autobiographical (laughs) what's a great line about uh, charles barclay said he was misquoted in his own autobiography (laughs) <laughs> but it could be, even if it's an autobiography, there's elements of that, that that resonate in any book. And it's just so, even autobiography to me is a business book. So here's this, this three elements. There has to be a proposition. There has to be this killer, killer proposition. Like the four-hour work week. What a brilliant proposition. Who wouldn't love a book called the four-hour work week? Or, or 10,000 Hours, which is a great book about time management, like sort of going, you're gonna die and then let's move it backwards, right? For our work week, if you've read it, it's just a really smart book about um, managing your time, uh, maybe remote uh, work, that sort of thing. And so it's really, the ideas are simple and commonplace, but it's wrapped in this great idea this proposition that's so powerful. So one of my favorite examples of, of this is a book written by Annie Duke and it's called Quit. So let me ask you this, Ben, if you're at your summit, you're a you're you know summiteer and you sit you're sitting at the base of the mountain. You're looking up at that mountain. What's
0: your goal? I want to climb a mountain. You would think mm-hmm. your, get goal to- is to
1: get, your goal is to get back, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's your goal is to get back.
0: Right, <laughs> to survive so, the mountain.
1: <laughs> these mountains are littered yeah. with people who forgot what their goal was or thought the goal was just going to the top of the mountain because they ignored all the benchmarks when they should go back and, and they died. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. her point is you should know when to go back. You should, Quitting uh, is, a, is something we sort of discourage and wrongly because quitting and pivoting, it, whether it be a, relate, a bad relationship or a job that you can do better in or settling, you know, you shouldn't settle. We make that mistake all the time because we believe in the old "make it work" until it, it works, work until it it's right. You know, and sometimes yeah. it's just never going to be right, man. And so, and so what happens is, is uh, we should quit. And so the name of the book, Andy Duke, wrote a book called "Quit." Now that's a great proposition, right? What's "Quit"? When you should quit? Great idea. No one has ever said had a book called "Quit." No one's ever had a book called The 4-Hour Workweek. No one has ever had a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, written in 1938. So um, this is a, a great idea. But So you've got the idea, the proposition. So the proposition, when you're walking by the airport and you see this thing on a book cover, it should swing your head over. That's when you know you've got a good proposition. Someone should say, what the hell? So it should be counterintuitive, but it has to have great, great value. For the person that's reading it, they have to believe, rightly believe, that it can change their life. That's a proposition. Now, let's go back to Annie Duke for a second. Her book is called Quit, as you know. Now, she was a professional poker player. Who would know more about quitting when to quit than a professional <laughs> poker player? Yeah. She's the ideal person. And because she's the ideal person, right, she has credibility because her backstory. Is perfect. She was a professional poker player. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But all our backstories lead us to this conclusion. So you have to share the backstory, right? And that's the good and the bad, the stuff that's hard, the stuff that, that you're encouraged by, the times you felt low, the times you felt high, the great things, the lousy things. That's everything that leads you to that conclusion. The person who's reading this book needs to know that you walked the miles, right? So you have your great proposition, you have your great backstory. And then you have advice drawn from all this knowledge that you have. Because you've got people, they're believing in you. You've got them all the way, and then you're not going to tell them nothing? (laughs) You have to give them tons and tons and tons of great usable advice that they can use right away, tips and hacks and everything. And those are the three pillars. So a great proposition, a terrific backstory, lots and lots of advice.
0: That, that, that makes sense. I mean, you know, keeping it simple because sometimes, you know, people come up with, you know, 10 um, bullet points. But yeah. I, I've always been a believer in keeping it simple. Yeah. And also yeah, like, 10 you know, bullet points. Yeah, well, because if you think about, like, if you're a songwriter and you layer stuff, right, you could layer something and have 64 tracks of layers. Yeah, that's like Queen, yeah. It, it's, it, that's cool, but sometimes, like, it's being more sparse. It draws attention to the tracks that are there. And then it becomes more meaningful in some ca- ca- situations where like you, you allow that space and you allow the impact of the note. If you have so many layers, you can't really feel the impact of all the notes made consciously you might, but you're not really feeling the impact. So having something that's to, ch- to the point and keep it simple, I think is, is a way to get the clutter out or the noise out. Because a lot of people don't know where to start, like so, it's very intimidating. They're trying mm-hmm. to climb the peak instead of trying to come back, or knowing the full picture of what they want to do, and they get lost in all the steps. And it's like, "Why well, I can't do it?" Because I'm not Hemingway, I'm not this person, I'm not that. They can't do it because they can't they can't get over the first step because there's like ten steps.
1: Yeah, and so like, the, what would you say the most powerful verse in the Bible is? I would say, I don't know the actual chapter and verse, but it's an independent verse. Chapter.
0: It's Jesus wept. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, this, this <laughs> it gets word. to the point. Well, yeah, well, it makes you feel yeah. like like are compassion. It's like that right there. It, it's kind of like this idea. Like when you have you're a writer and somebody says, "Well, if you come up with a proposition like baby shoes never worn, right?" Then makes uh, right. It it's makes you think, right? yeah, And Then you agreed. can go. Heck, it's you know, then you can imagine what it could be. Yeah, and that it kind of draws you because so the keeping it simple, you know, so I like like you know Word, you know I, Wordsworth versus like Blake. I love William Blake because yeah. out of all the Victorians, he can in the Songs of Innocence and Experience, he gets to the point. Not like Tennyson and Wordsworth, and although not that they're not great, I love all those Victorian poets, but Blake could get to the point with you know not being verbose. He could get to it with with language from that period, but it wasn't. As, as, uh, as you know, drawn up. I was talking to a hockey player and I've talked to
1: many, 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 cause that was the world I lived in for many years. And we were talking to, I was talking to this very wise hockey player, really smart guy and a very tough guy named Wendell Clark. He played for the Leafs for many years, maybe Leafs and that's who I covered for a long time. And we were talking about a real social climber of a player that he knew. And he said, this guy has no new friends. Sorry, this guy has no old friends, only new ones.
0: Mm.
1: wow <laughs> what a perfect perfect way to describe someone who's always looking for some someone more important in the room when they're talking to you what <laughs> perfect way of saying it. he's got yeah same same player uh very very um uh kind of matter of facts and kind of handy guy and so i was Wendell I was at his uh, he built a little hockey rink and it, it was a three on three hockey rink and uh, and I said, Wendell, where did you get the refrigeration? Who did the refrigeration for you? He said, Well, I did. And I said, Wendell, that's really amazing. I I, I don't didn't know you knew anything about refrigeration. And he said, Mike, water freezes at thirty three degrees. Anyone who tells you it doesn't is lying to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they
0: figured it out to sim- simplify it. They'll make yeah, it. Too no, good those
1: fun. are powerful, powerful things. I, I wrote a book called Show and Tell Writing, and it's, I think a lot of what we do goes back to the cave. And so we believe something that we observe far more powerfully than we believe something we are told. Hmm. So we're built to be able to, to take knowledge and synthesize it and compress it. But when we observe it and make a decision from ourselves, it goes from an observation, right, to uh, an idea. To a truce that's and and if we're told something it doesn't necessarily follow that pattern but when we observe it because we're trained to to survive on what we see mm-hmm. now let me give you an example i'm in the the, the hut and uh, the cave and i say to you Phantom, go bake me go hey, here's what you do family go out you turn left at the front of the cave you, you take 10 steps and you're going to find some marshes take a big uh, bamboo marsh like this knock it make it about this long okay Now, I want you to go about another 20 steps, and you'll see a big black rock. Take another rock, knock the rock off. You'll get a smaller rock. Now, sharpen that rock against the big rock and jam it on the top of there, and then come back, right? So we had to develop the ability for you to understand all those instructions and synthesize them and be able to repeat them. But when you come back into the cave, I have to know by your posture, by your backstory, by the look on your face, by the temperature I'm feeling. I have to know what you're going to do with that spear. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the second part of how we get story. The part, first part is you telling, you, you take synthesizing all that information, but the real stuff that I believe, not what I'm told, even if you be holding this and say to me, I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. Right. You can tell me that, but you've got a spear in your hand and you've got a bone, of, you get a you know, bone to pick. And so I believe more than what I see than what you say.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah actually yeah.
1: telling people stuff. And then the other combination of observing by yourself, seeing based on all these qualities, that's why those two things when they go together are so powerful. And that's what storytelling is about.
0: Yeah, the storytelling is, it's, it's so integral to like a lot a lot of what we do as podcasters yeah because yeah, like, right. a, in the podcast forum that we're in now, I, I choose to go live and do kind of like, like you know, live, not uh, scripted type of right. uh, where there's a lot of uh, drive today with people will tell you, well, you got to make it like 15 minutes. You got to script it. You got to throw special effects. You got to go edit, pull all the ums out, do all this production. And I've, I've like, I you know, like in terms of like the way I do music, I don't do music like that either. Mm-hmm. I, I write music stream of consciousness in the moment multi-track maybe fourth or fifth take not the 99th take i i want to get closer to what my original concept was and so it's a choice and i understand what people want to kind of make things glossy and look shiny and feel perfect but i think it it, you lose a lot yeah when you do that i agree so one of the things i was wondering in terms of um like in terms when you want to go write a business book, there's a lot of things that come into play in terms of like cost, how long does it take? yeah um, it, it, you know so if you're not very comfortable doing it, I would assume you have to get somebody to help you, and then that's where the cost starts to come in. No, that's very true versus so, trying to do it all by yourself.
1: <laughs> everything we do starts with me interviewing you and 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 us kind of digging down and really finding what your story is. And so if you decide, look, I want to write the book, Mike, I, I just need to know where to start and what my story is and what I should always come back to, what my social media should be about, I'll talk to you. I don't know how many times I'll talk to you. You might get really sick of me, but at the end of it, whether it be even, sometimes it's over 20 minutes, so sometimes it takes two hours, mm-hmm. but at the end of those probably two hours, we're going to have a really good idea what, what, what your story is it doesn't mean it won't evolve change and i always talk about not having a predetermined idea of what your book is about but this will give you a really great starting point and a north star we do that with all their books every book we do i interview you and there are people who are so sick of me Phantom, because (laughs) i come back i come back and i come back and i'll give you an example we had a great book a guy named ron foxcroft if you go to any nba game nfl game nhl game you hear that piercing whistle. He invented that. He's a Canadian guy. I've known him for many years. Great story. He created this uh, this trucking business. He bought it a guy named Bobby Fluke. And he, he, put, he used the slogan, if it's on time, it's a fluke. <laughs> it's <laughs> a super smart, funny guy. And we wrote this book. And it's really full of interesting tales. And it's 40 rules, 40 ways of the fox. And we were sitting towards the end of it. And I said to him, you don't drink, do you? And he said, no. And then I said, well, who was the alcoholic in your life? Because there's only two reasons why people don't drink. They either hate the taste of it or they hate what it did to their life. Hmm. And he said, it was my dad. And he beat me once a week, every week for seven years, regular. And I it, we talked about his dad. And he said, my dad was the king of woulda, could have shoulda. Oh, right? He was a man that left nothing accomplished. He just always blamed something else. So my friend Ron said, I, I decided I was never gonna be that guy. Never gonna say woulda, coulda, shoulda, and I wasn't gonna drink. And if you, if you were writing your book Phantom, you probably wouldn't put that in. Because it's awkward to say my dad beat me and he was an alcoholic when I was a boy. If left to our own devices, we won't include that because it's, it's too hard. I wouldn't either. So that's why it's important for someone like me to be asking you questions. I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable,
0: you know. I think you, yeah. Well, I think you'd be surprised because um am one thing about being a songwriter is vulnerability is the core. Oh, it's at the core. You're so right. right. So a lot of what we do as like creative artists, you know, musicians, is we're all about vulnerability. There's We're so above, many about putting that to the front.
1: <laughs> and that's that's what makes songwriting such a unique element. But if you're in the insurance business, that vulnerability is something that you're not going to put to the front, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Your business practice, person may not want to do that. Yeah.
1: If you're writing a book about say and, and you know something that nobody else does, then you can use that vulnerability powerfully. So can I give you an example? Mm-hmm. Sure. I was just speaking with a, a woman, her, her name, oh, she's just a fantastic person. Her name is Cherie, and she lives in uh, Mississippi. She's a woman of color. Cherie the fantastic person. She works in uh, estates, right? And we got to be talking about why she works in estates, and this is the power of a backstory, and this is the power of vulnerability. So Cherie said that that she works because she loves – loves working in the States. And I said, how often have, has it come in your life that you've seen people absolutely obsessed, obsessed with not paying inheritance tax? They'll make some people the executors. It shouldn't be the executors. They'll move money here. They'll move money there. They'll do it on the slide and say someone, this is your property. But when I die, it's really not your property. It's somebody else. All oh, mannership! shit. Greatest way to destroy your family. How often have you seen this? She says, I've seen it <laughs> countless times. And I said, now, what do you think, and this is Sheree was in the business, what do you think is the rate of U.S. estates that pay inheritance tax per 100? Phantom, I'm going to ask you that question. Out of 100 deaths in the United States, what percent
0: pay inheritance tax? I wouldn't. I mean, if it's rich people, I would think it would be very low rate. If it's regular people that happen to have it, I think they wouldn't know how to plan it. Give me a number, dude. Give me a number. I don't
1: know 80% 0.08. Oh, wow. No one pays inheritance tax in the United States. Maybe they should, but no one does, right? Wow. So most people are destroying their families for a tax that they're never going to have to pay. Wow. Right? That's a really powerful truth. A really powerful proposition. You would hang your business on that one fact if you were in the in this business, right? Most people who do this, you're, you're never going to have to pay it. So stop screwing around. Let's do this right. Because if not, you'll destroy your family. How does Cherie know that other than observing it? Well, Cherie knows it because Cherie uh, saw it in her own family. Her grandmother was this wonderful woman. She had they, they lived, They'd have revival, which is news to me, revival. And people would go by her, her road, her country road. They would stop and her mom would get meals dinners because they were going to revival. She was someone who helped out everyone. She was hardworking. She worked in in her, in her the high school where Sheree went to school. She, I should say Sheree's last name was Prince, Sheree Prince. And so, but when Sheree's mother died at 33, she got a share of the inheritance. And when her grandparents died, everything went to hell, right? All these people, who were in her, her family started fighting. Now they don't talk to each other. It's just crazy what this state has done. So here's it, so Cherie's family is wrecked, okay? Now here's where vulnerability comes into the question. Cherie's great, great, great grandfather. I believe I've got that right. I might have get one or two extra grandfathers, one or two not. Um, was one of 42 children, right? Because he was a slave. Okay, And so that family survived generation after generation. They survived slavery. They survived Jim Crow. They survived integration. They survived Mississippi. They could not survive a a will not being done. That destroyed their family. Where slavery could not, an undone will could. That vulnerability saying, you know, that my great-great-great-grandfather was one of 42 children, that willingness to tell that tale, that is so powerful. So if you look at Cherie, she has the most dynamic story. My grandmother was a was a wonderful woman. When people would go to revival, they stop at our house. She was fantastic. But when she died, my entire family was destroyed. And my family had survived slavery, Jim Crow, Mississippi, integration, busting. You name it. My family had survived it. My family could not survive a will. People dying with no will. Now, let me ask you this question: Would you be interested in dealing with someone like this?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, her story was very dynamic, I and mean, she was telling the truth. And I think that the vulnerability is what I kind of go after. Yeah, you know, in in terms of the story, because yeah. you know, when I pick people to talk to, on you know. As a podcaster, you know, I don't want to hear the kind of like preset normal yeah. response. If like, you want to hear something that's actually going to draw you in and honesty draws you in. You know, if I pick people to work with, I don't want to have somebody that just wants to clone things. I, agree. I want somebody that's going to show me something. Well, my, my statement is show me the song you're scared to show anybody. Huh. Don't so show me that your... you can play anybody else. You know, I want us to hear huh. the vulnerability of your, of your... Of your, you know, be, you know, you potentially are putting your, your everything on the line. You know, what I mean.
1: So if you're the only person w- willing to tell this story in your sector, right, and Sharif's sector is is uh, um, you know, it's it's the states, it's that sort of thing. If you're the only person willing to tell your story, then yours is the only story that counts because everybody else didn't think enough of their story to write their story down, or to write a book, or to use it for their social media. So if you're that one person willing to tell that story, man, the world is your oyster speaking gigs, media appearances, mainstream legacy media appearances. You know what your blogs are about. You have this fantastic story. My family survived slavery, but they could not survive an undone will. It's just an, it's so one sentence. It's just yeah. so
0: powerful. It's very powerful. I mean, it that, is. that's, But you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And so that's Ah, the thing.
1: That's the key. So Cherie is really a fantastic, open, wonderful person. Five minutes with Cherie and you just love her. So she is very courageous. So she's willing to put it out. And that's the difference. So when I tell people they want to work with me, I tell them, look, you're going to have to be willing to be vulnerable. And there are going to be times where you don't like me very much. Right. Because I'm going to ask that question. It's for the best and you'll be glad you did it and it'll make your book much better. But we're gonna talk about some stuff that you're not uncomfortable with. Why'd your marriage end? Who the hell wants to answer why their marriage ended? What business is it of yours to ask me why your marriage ended? Well, maybe your marriage ended because you're, you're, I'm just making this up. Maybe your son had a disability and your partner couldn't cope with it and they left, which is not, an, you know, not a story that does that, that's absolutely homemade. Lots of people have that story okay, now, now we're talking something. So what is this book about? Could it be about the effect of your son's disability on your family in relation to marriage, in relation to your siblings, in relation to your, to your to social services? This is something that's really important, and it came from a question potentially that you never wanted to answer.
0: It seems like you put a lot of your journalistic capabilities into this, that, um, this new effort to help people with their business because – when you're like if you're doing the interview wh- when you're writing you know as a journalist right it seems like you're using those techniques Um Bam. trying to get to the true story where Bam. a lot of people might be looking for well, what's going to give me a million views on Instagram you know, or what's going to give me like like you know and in, in in part of the world is marketing but you're getting to the thing that's going to make you have that unique um mm-hmm. characteristic that will be that marketing plan. Yeah, that's it.
1: That becomes, that's the one story that you should always tell. The one story you should always frame. Yeah. That's journalism's great that way. Awesome. It's tough. It's a lousy place to be right now, but it's a great place to be from the other thing. i tell you why I do this. I love that moment of connection with the person where you, you help them see something about their lives. They had never really grasped before because when you write a book, I tell people, you know what? The book is the second best thing I'm going to give you. The second best thing. I, I tell them, "You're." I'll, I tell you what I'll do. I will charge you whatever dollar amount it is uh, for, the, for the knowledge and the clarity you have in your life after this. And I'll throw in the book for free. Because <laughs> often it's the clarity that, that you get from thinking about your life and talking to people and sitting down and determining hey, was that person really cruel to me or were they trying to teach me a lesson? And if I had to tell one person at a party what my business was about, what would I tell them? And who were the people that really influenced me? Maybe just someone I just met once. Maybe they really influenced me because. So the process of putting that all together is so powerful. And that's something you can use for the rest of your life. And we'll throw the book in for free.
0: It's really interesting that you, you're pointing out that like the the way you go at it is to pull those nuggets of like really authenticity and yeah. vulnerability, where some people they might be so in their head about their their actual running of their business. Yeah. And they're thinking it's like A to Z, the steps I take in my business. Right. That, or and, and, and maybe like, now understanding that that, you know, maybe that's what you think it should be. But right. what you're telling us is like that's probably not the way it should be. <laughs> no, and but you know those
1: things are great for the recommendations. After you know, when you've told your your story and when you've sort of differentiated yourself with the power of your story, those things are great. Like if you if you know a hack or a tip or something like that, that's great. But that's not your story. And the other mistake people make is they think their story is is what draws people. Nobody cares about your story phantom nobody cares about your story your mother may care my mother got she lived to 100 she was the best she did care about my story she'd be about the only person in the world nobody care no one will walk across the street for your story but they will travel miles for your conclusions miles mm-hmm. conclusions i'm not in the story business i'm in the conclusion business because conclusions are the most powerful things everyone's got a story and
0: we both know it. Not a lot of people have conclusions. Yeah, because all the steps are your story. Like it could be some Forrest Gump level story, but like, what's the lesson? What's the lesson right. learned? Right. What's what's the you know, what's the hack? What what are they? What's the advice? Everybody today is so stressed out about. They want to know what like, what are the top ten hacks? What are the yeah. top five things I can do? How can I get you it. Are, if, yeah. So if you don't get get to that, and it's just one event after another strung along say, well, I don't know what the point of that is. I'm looking for, I'm looking for an answer. (laughs) And, and you know, the guy, if you know the background
1: of the person doing the hack, if they're new and they just, they could just be throwing it out. If they've done the miles, then they have more credibility. And if they have that one overriding great proposition then they have a ton of credibility and the power of your story is the ability of your listener to believe it. Yeah. That's the gig.
0: And yeah, I wonder
1: that's, that's really powerful when you do it. The thing is, so people say to me, "Who's Like, what's your audience for your book? And that's supposed, to, lots of people, they write their <laughs> book based on what they think their audience wants to hear? No, man. Tell your greatest story. And if you sell insurance, they'll find you. If you're a car mechanic, they'll find you. If you're a politician or whatever, they'll find you. Tell your superb story and they will find you. Don't worry about tailoring it for your for insurance yeah. consumers because, really, you're not selling to insurance buyers.
0: You're selling to human beings. Well, you want it to be beyond that. It's the law of attraction, right? So if you have this idea, right, and you just think you want to stay in a narrow lane, yeah, right, you're just going to be in that lane, and you're not going to go beyond it. So how do well, you... How are you I'm gonna? Hungry. How are you gonna have like? I I believe in this thing called like expanse, expansive, expansive concepts. Yeah, expansive concepts. Like, and we live in a world where people want you to stay in the lane. They want you oh, to right. be in the canon. So if you're in this particular canon, you're in this lane. You should stay in there. You get to be the best person in that lane. But right. like, well, I rather mix things up, right? I rather take a little fusion jazz with a punk aesthetic, right? With a little blues tint like, well, that's going to be different than all three of those. It's going to be a combination. It's like what I'm feeling. It's what I feel and I'm feeling if I put that out there and throw it at the wall of the, of the world, there are going to be people who dig it and the people who don't But the people who dig it because it exists, they'll, they'll find out about it and they'll get drawn to it. So if you put that nugget, like you're saying of that authenticity of the self of, of that vulnerability, then people are going to, going to feel it and they're gonna to move toward it those things are
1: immune to genres you know they're just they just don't if you have somebody who's great the genre doesn't matter I mean you know Tony Bennett listened to all sorts of music and who I I, I adored I saw him a couple of times and he said you know good is good yeah good's good it's not it's not a matter of good in the genre it's just
0: good yeah it's, it's like, not if you look at you cross, cross genre, cross style, right? Like the only way you get better is if you take everything as a human being. like what I feel is like the muse is the way you synthesize. If you're a creative person and you're open to that muse idea, you're able to synthesize stuff in your subconscious, stuff you just heard today, stuff yeah. it's you know that you read or watched or yeah. you know, the the ten thousand hours of doing whatever you did that make you good at what you do. And Definitely. if you trust yourself as a creative, it this synthesizes. But if you don't trust yourself, you keep on starting and stopping and never finishing it. But when you trust yourself, you, let it, you actually go to completion. You actually take that thought and actually go and do it rather than saying, well, maybe I could do it. Should have done it. Wish I did it. You do it.
1: And then so... Our range of services goes from people who just want to learn their story to people who want to write the book. And we have a fantastic coach. And then there's people that just just they look at this. I just don't I don't have this kind of time because it takes people off at 600, 800 hours. So if I do your book, our books are about 15,000 to 2,000 words, about 120 pages. Mm -hmm. I need about six hours from you. To interview you, and then you'll need about a couple other hours to review the manuscript. So give me three months, give me six, eight hours, and I'll come back with a really great book. Wow, that's a that's a proposition that's really kind of hard to beat. And that's what That'd we do. So we have the absolute people that are in the podcast just want to know what their message is. They want people to help us along with the book, and we coach them, and we don't touch the keyboard, but we help them develop the book. And then there's people who we you know we really really um, create the book for. It's not ghostwriting, really, because a ghostwriter just talks to you once. It kind of goes away. We don't do that. We hound you, man.
0: We <laughs> continue the interview. And then, just... yeah,
1: and, and then we come back like six hours later. So in three weeks and eight hours, you've got a book. So there's a whole different range of services there. But the important thing is every one of them starts by defining what those three things are, the proposition, the backstory, and the advice. Everything we do is based on those three things.
0: And this, this, you're giving people like, like, uh, no reason to uh, be a, you know, procrastination, you know, to be a procrastinator, because like, if you're gonna offer the ability, like, if you stick with this, if, if you allow me to interview, if you allow me to go through this process that you've developed, then you're gonna have a win, and yeah. so why would you want to lose?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and writing is hard for people. I, I get it. People have the idea that writers write, like to write. I hate it. it. Dorothy Parker had the best line about writing. She said, I despise writing. I love having written. (laughs) And she's dead right. So people find it so hard because there's 50 words, but only one right word. There's so many ways to get this. There's there's the flow of the page. There's a a mistaking its for it's for the possessive instead of it is or there for there or getting a name wrong or a fact wrong there's so many ways you can go wrong it's like walking through a dancing through a minefield and and so because of that and because once you get better this is really the bane of it once you get better you don't want to give people the cheap shit you gave them before right <laughs> you got one you percent better so you want your stuff to be ten percent better So, and then you have to edit it and and have it. And and that's hard too, because your editor is like a frenemy, you know, you love them, but you hate them, right? Because they're telling you stuff you don't want to know and or learn. And so it's really, really hard. So I have tons and tons of empathy for people who, who start and then stall out, which is the way it always goes. So, but we want our clients to be successful. So with help and with encouragement, and with the ability for our guy to help you shape your story, we can do this. And if you don't, at the end of the day, you think you know my time is better spent having this great, great, great book and having somebody write it and help you with it and just help give me that clarity about my life. Well,
0: we can we can do that as well. I think that what you've described is, is a like I said, it's a win win because it, you're 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 putting together a proposition where. You know, you're you're having somebody helping them walk through it, and then also helping them and say, "Well, you know, I can't really do it, so I'm gonna give over the reins uh, to a certain extent." But I I just think that it's a it's a good place to be where like yeah, people want to tell their story, but yeah. maybe they don't know how, and yeah. and you've given oh, them sure. different levels of like how much they want to get involved in terms of uh you know doing it their own work, and or, yeah, that's a, that's a great proposition, I believe.
1: Oh, thank you for saying that. There's one other thing that really I wanted to mention, so many people have been told that their story isn't important mm. and that their experiences aren't important or they have no use or utility for other people. There is not a human being on earth who can't help somebody else with their story. It's just a matter of figuring it out. What's, what I find odious, maybe even um, obscene is the idea that someone got in their ear and told this person that their story had no value. That's someone they trusted and believed gave them the impression that they they didn't matter. Their story didn't matter. Those people, and they're often teachers and parents and coaches. Those people should be consigned to the seventh circle of hell. Yeah. (laughs) Because. But we carry
0: around those lies our entire life, you know. Yeah, I, we, you, like, the, this imposter syndrome gets built in. Oh, from, the, I, from the, the, the the kind of law of attraction. If you get around people that are downers, yeah, like like I'm a Buddhist, like, so I so I'm a believe in like negative energy. right? So if you're around yeah. the people who have this negative energy and they're down on themselves and then they're down on you, then you don't see a way out. But if you start to to believe. And it's hard because you get to that crucible moment where you are know, probably running into people that got to that crucible moment. and They know I do matter. I do have something to say. but I don't know how to do it, but I really am. I'm, I'm dedicated to figure out how. So you're the kind of person they want to they want to run into, and and because they'll get the encouragement of yeah, now I finally am getting getting on the right foot. Yeah, I'm, I'm making that progress.
1: <laughs> I work for the right to meet those people that's what I do because I, I'm 64. so when you're 64 no one's gonna hire you right and and so I have to work for the right to work but i write i work for the right to meet those people to help those people that's why I get up in the morning and that's why I do what I do I do all the other stuff you know I, I do podcasting myself and I do social media and that's nice that's fine it's fun but I write just if I had, had my life perfectly, all I would do is help those people
0: find their stories, because that's really what I love to do. I think that we can kind of end it there, because I know you're pressed for time a little bit. But I think that your story about helping people is is a great story. And this the kind of story we like to tell on this podcast. We want to remind people to go to www.mikeholmer.com. to to, to connect with you and that's where they can like book an appointment begin the process. Is that how they reach you?
1: Yeah. And of course the call is always welcome. People have tons and tons of questions about it and I'll answer any question they have. My website has, Oh my God, 4,000 words of questions. So if you go to the website, just go to frequently asked questions and it'll answer all your, your, your questions. What I really want to stress if I can just to, I know we, we talked about 45 minutes, but if we can just go another couple minutes, that'd be great. If, yeah, yeah. Um, what I really want to stress is there are no gatekeepers anymore. You know, people should know that their book is not going to be in, in the airport, probably. ninety-eight percent of the books aren't going to be in the airport. They're not going to be picked up by big mainstream people, big mainstream companies, because those companies don't exist. And their lists are super, super short. The thing is, with Amazon, you don't have to pay a dime to get your book printed. And it's the biggest bookstore in the world. And you you may not like Amazon. There's other services as well. But if you just have a completed manuscript, you know, print ready, ready to go, you're there because all you have to do is, is install that on Amazon. And there's if you if you sort of if you work with a traditional publisher, they decide how many books are printed, they decide the price of the book, they decide the vibe of the book, they decide the cover. When Today, you have more control, more choices than ever. It's really a great time to, to produce a book, which, of course, is so essential for your social media, for everything to tie into. It's really who you are. But don't be discouraged because HarperCollins isn't going to buy your book. It's better this way.
0: Yeah. And you could think about it like, you know, with musicians, we are in the same kind of boat where we don't have gatekeepers. And then we have like all these streaming services that will put our stuff out. Yeah, but the, the, the core to winning in this type of thing is like, OK, if you go out and tour, you have a merch desk and right. you sell your vinyl at the merch desk. You sell your posters, you sell your T-shirts, but you can micro at a micro level actually do better with your royalty rates and how much money you make. because you own your masters, you own your content. And so when you get into this independent type of mindset. You could you could make you can actually make money, but it, it it might not be what you thought. You're not you're not making like massive amounts of money, but you could be profitable, and you could actually do things that you probably didn't expect. And so, uh, I, I do encourage people to be on that creative type of mindset where you get to you know do it yourself, and um, uh, if you're in that to- do it yourself mindset
1: put up your you put up your hand if you haven't heard stories about a musician getting screwed by his, his, his publisher his company his, his record company you know the great oh, yeah. the great advance <laughs> you know the advance when you get an advance everyone says like, I got an advance I got an advance it's your money <laughs> it's not it's their money, money. Yeah. it's your money yeah. it's just a tech question of timing you know and so it, it, it's just so much better today to because you have the you have that option. But you're right; you have to be willing to embrace it. The great thing about working for a record company or writing a book picked up by a mainstream publisher is that they they decide everything, right? The great yeah. thing about not doing that is that you decide everything, and you you create something that's custom to your to your business. And then the great thing about leave you can make it a leave behind. Or, or you can, if you want to, uh, you know, want to be a speaker, you can send that to the booking agency. The funny thing is, though, Phantom, the best thing about writing a book is having written it. Like 90% of the power of the book is its existence. Yeah. 99% of people who see that and are impressed by that will not read the book. But the fact that you are confident enough to have a message and to create the book. Is the actual seal of approval. It's the power of the action. So you don't have to write the world's greatest book. You just have to write a truthful book for yourself. And you have to write a book with the spirit of helping the person who, who's buying it. Because, and this I think is really important, the person who's reading your book stopped everything they were doing. And the person's fandom to listen to your song, but not so much to listen to a song because you can do something else. The person who's reading your book stopped. Everything. Yeah. Stop thinking about everything in the world. Put down everything: the kids, the car, the social media, everything, to read your book, to read what you thought. That's powerful. Treat that person. Yeah, treat it's very powerful. Unparalleled respect and thankfulness. And if you do, if you write a book with them in mind, if you use musicality in your sentences, if you kind of juggle the show and the tell. If you have great sidebars and ideas, if you're funny and fun, if you inject that sort of lightness into the book and yet still deliver a powerful truth, they will follow you to the gates of hell. Yeah,
0: you know, it's and like that poetry works. of of having that kind of
1: yeah. synergy. You know, if yeah. if you've
0: got something that that draws you in, you know, you know, you don't have to be a fantasy author to draw people in. Like yeah. if you can draw people with your cadence and your poetic nature like you're like it's like a great speaker and they, when they read your book that they're feeling it like they're they, you're, you're speaking it out loud yeah it's that you know it's that the moment that we're looking for as art as players so we're looking for people to get drawn in drawn in oh, yeah. enough that they're actually going to stay with you for yeah, however yeah. long to actually be in your world
1: <laughs> you make a great point when you say that because the best thing that someone can say about your writing is that it sounds like you right? This sounds like the phantom set, right? The trick of, the the trick is that we have this and we have this, but between that and the keyboard, we have insecurity. We want to be, sound smarter than we are. We're a little intimidated by the process. We want to impress somebody. So, this and this has to travel this highway and by the time it gets to the keyboard, it's shit, right? (laughs) So, The trick is to remove the impediments between this and this
0: and this. Get to the heart, you know, get to the real, you know, the thing that that I think what happens with musicians is that we end up destroying our work. Yeah. Because you want to impress other musicians, right? You want to impress other musicians. Yeah. That first draft of what we call the first demo sometimes has more heart and more soul and more real and it's more vulnerable. By the time we get to version 99, we took all the life out of it yeah and my core as a producer is i always have people like the earlier version even if it's imperfect with its happy yeah. accidents is actually better and so yeah. to get people to agree to the earlier versions of the versions that might have micro errors in them um it's hard today because people get so into the computers that they can fix everything they're like you shouldn't fix that because that is what it, that's that that's real but the, yeah. you, you're making it fake. <laughs> you're making it like unreal. You're making it unnaturally perfect. Yeah, And when it's unnaturally perfect, it's like it isn't your voice. It's like somebody else's voice. It's not you. Steven Tyler is talking about one of the, uh, the I think it was Sweet
1: Emotion, uh, the Aerosmith the guy from Aerosmith, and he was saying yeah. that he went and there were no maracas. No one brought the maracas. So he took a coffee uh, cap, Tim, or, or some little piece of plastic, maybe a coffee lid. And he just uses it and it just if you listen to the
0: song, it's perfect, and it's just of yeah. the moment. So I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that moment in the moment thing, you know, Dylan hitting his 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 uh, buttons on his jacket, yeah. and then that version of like uh idiot wind sounds brilliant, yeah. you know. And then some people are like, Oh, we can't put that one out, and then eventually they got put out, and it just feels so good, and it sounds so dynamic. Like, I don't care that I hear. Him, his, his, uh, you know, jacket buttons hitting the guitar. It, it, it gave it I character. It. Yeah. it was like, there wasn't anything wrong with it. But, but you know, sometimes people didn't want to be so perfect. They like, well, they, they get rid of it. You know, you don't need to get rid of it. <laughs> no, I get, I get, I'm right there with you. Well, thank you again for being on tonight. I think it's always awesome, uh, to talk to people with different perspectives. And we talked to a lot of creative people, and I, th- I think a lot of people have watched this and listened to this uh, once we put it on the wider, in the wider world. Know. It will be on all the podcast platforms that most people could listen to or watch. Uh, I hope that they they do cl- connect with you and, and because a lot of people don't know that first step, and you've really yeah, made it yeah. easier, easier for people that don't know that. Or don't know, you know, don't know the first thing about how to how to get this started. And I think this is a really awesome proposition for a lot of people who maybe didn't know what to do. And I, I I'm glad that you came on the show to give give the folks in our audience the chance to to hear this. And I I want to thank you again for being on the family to Oh, so
1: it was my pleasure. Thanks. I, I'm just so pleased that that you uh, would see to have me on. No, my pleasure. Thank you. You bet.